0: Forget. Come with us and don't go, no, not the movie, Juliet. Ahoy, there, listeners, and welcome to Movie Oubliette, the transcontinental podcast for forgotten fantastical films with me, Conrad, petting my King Charles Cavalier Spaniel in Cambridge, UK. And me, Dan, taking
1: note of all the toilet stops my Britney puppy Baxter does every single day
0: in Melbourne, <laughs> Australia. We focus on fantastic cinema, sci fi, horror, and fantasy for the most part because we love dreamy cruises, time loops, And accidental impalements Dan, (laughs) how are you?
1: Ah, yes, very well Uh, Having a lot of fun with our brand new puppy Mm. That we have acquired recently Baxter Yes, yes, he's a, a ball of... Endless energy (laughs) never ends.
0: (laughs) Although I did like the photo you sent of him snoozing on your lap while you watched today's movie. (laughs) I thought that was
1: cute. Yeah, I I used him as a table while I wrote my notes, (laughs) and he didn't seem to mind at all. (laughs) (laughs) So
0: cute. And how have you been, Conrad? Oh, quite busy this week. It's been open day at the university, so I've been enjoying seeing. Crowds of impossibly young people looking very nervous, accompanied by older versions of themselves. It's really ah. quite entertaining. <laughs> yeah, just all seems to be guys in shorts composed entirely of knees with their faces buried in a mobile phone. And then next to them, there's somebody with less cool shorts on. Mm. Who looks 20 years older. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, any mailbag today? We do. We had lots of responses actually to the Inner Space episode a couple of episodes ago. So, oh. when I tweeted a picture of the original box art for the movie, Poeticon, mm. he commented, Why does Meg Ryan look like the Joker on that poster? <laughs> <laughs> She did look pretty pale, actually. Yeah, and that shit predates Batman by two years. So maybe they were inspired. (laughs) Wow. Maybe Jack Nicholson said, I want to look like Meg Ryan in this movie. (laughs) (laughs) Also, when I tweeted an image of the cowboy whispering his immortal pickup line, I make love with my boots on and dot, dot, dot. I asked people to imagine what he whispered in Meg Ryan's ear next. And Serge from Cold Crash Pictures. Hey, Serge. <laughs> hello, Serge. He suggested, and the hat stays on in the shower. <laughs> <laughs> Very cowboy thing to say. Explains his hair, too. (laughs) Oh, yeah. It does. And other people were just talking about how much they loved the movie. Rec Gator said that she loved the Epcot Center as a kid and Body Wars. The Body Wars exhibit was her favourite part. Oh. So fondly remembers that. It's long gone now, apparently. Right. Eli Hooper said, My most watched and repeated movie that summer. Martin Short absolutely crushed his character. And I think he's right Yeah uh, mm. Definitely my favourite character that Martin Short
1: has ever played Yeah, definitely mm. So yeah, lots of inner space love in the mailbag this week That's so great And of course we look forward to more feedback and comments from all of you guys
0: Do send them in
1: And I guess it's time to send you, Conrad, to retrieve the movie that we will be discussing today
0: Oh yes, off I go to the Oubliette Oh yes Favourite trip. <gasps> Okay, I'll uh, think I'll just pick this one. Think I'll just pick this one. Think I'll just pick this one. Conrad, snap out of it. Oh, Oh, wow. I don't know what happened there. Okay, heading back. I feel like I've been here before. (laughs) Thanks for that. Yeah, like a a record on Skep or something. Yeah, terrible. (laughs) (laughs) So the movie I have for us to look at today is Triangle. A 2009 British-Australian psychological thriller film written and directed by Christopher Smith and starring Melissa George and Michael Dorman and a very young Liam Hemsworth. Ooh, the other Thor. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, there are a lot of Hemsworths actually, I didn't realise. Yeah, and they are all just ridiculously handsome. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it's not fair, is it, really? (laughs) And so Triangle stars Melissa George as Jess, who decides to take a day off from being the harried single mum of an autistic boy by going out for a sunny boat trip with a soft-hearted guy named Greg, a married pair of yacht yuppies called Sally and Downey, their forgettable friend Heather, and a teenage runaway called Victor, played by a barefooted, unremarkable lump that apparently morphed into the eye-watering Liam Hemsworth two years later. After a freak storm that capsizes their boat and sweeps forgettable Heather out to sea, the survivors drift upon a mysterious deserted ocean liner that appears to have been decorated by the Overlook Hotel's interior designer and start to get picked off one by one by an unseen killer with a bag on their head. <laughs> when final girl Jess defeats her assailant and pushes the killer over the side, she's shocked to see the wreckage of Greg's boat drifting towards her again, populating by all of her companions alive and well, including a duplicate of her. Yes, she's stuck in a Bermuda Triangle alternative dimension time loop purgatory, forced to replay the terrible turn of events until she can unlock the mystery that is triangle. Ooh. My favourite shape. <laughs> <laughs> I've always been fond of circles.
1: but Oh. <laughs> I guess we'll be right back to talk about trigonometry.
0: Indeed. <laughs> Welcome back. And here we are to talk about Triangle, a trigonometrical psychological thriller. <laughs> I don't even know if trigonometrical is a word. <laughs> it's very hard to say. I'll say that much. I do. <laughs> Dan, you hadn't seen this movie
1: before, I believe. No. Even though I reside in the country it was filmed in, Mm. I have not seen this movie. And I was also surprised to see that pretty much the entire cast is Australian, Mm. bar one of the actors who is a Kiwi. Right. So this film was shot in Australia, in Queensland, uh, up on the Gold Coast, Mm -hmm. uh, the tourist mecca of Australia. Mm. But it's not set in Australia. No. It's set in Miami, Florida. and every. Everyone's got these really bad faux American accents. <laughs> yeah. Not convincing at all. No one had a decent American accent. And Liam Hemsworth was the worst.
0: He just sounded like an Aussie yeah. trying to put on an American accent. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Bless him. It's really strange seeing Liam Hemsworth in this movie. He was 18 at the time. Right. And boy, did the next couple of years do wonders for him because he's he's sort of clean shaven. It's like all his hair's gone. Yeah. But he just, I don't know, he just looks like a nondescript beach bum. He just doesn't look interesting at all. <laughs> yeah. Yeah.
1: He just looks like the sort of drifter surfer dude that you'd find kind of uh, on the Gold Coast. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Uh, you know, drinking beer with his mates Yeah, well I think the Hemsworth have always owned the fact That they did not arrive in this world As fully packaged movie icon uh-huh. dream boys They <laughs> they were pretty gawky teenagers right? But somehow maturity kicked in And they just morphed into... The wonders that they are today. Mm. <laughs> it's quite mm. funny seeing him in this. This is one of his first films. I think it was the first one that he landed. I'm not sure whether it was the first one that came out. Mm. Uh, It's also Because he's so famous now Mm. On the streaming
1: service That I watched this movie on He's like second build As well (laughs) On the poster thing Right But his character is barely In this movie Yeah He's not that
0: important No He just pads about barefoot And gets killed fairly quickly Yeah The interesting thing about this movie Is the structure of it Yes Because it is a Time loop movie Which is one of my favourite things This is really bizarre For some reason Reason. I, in real life, hate repeating myself. <laughs> if somebody doesn't hear what I've just said, I hate having to say it again. If I'm working on something on my computer and my computer crashes and I haven't saved it, I never want to do the whole thing again. <laughs> but for some reason... I find it perversely enjoyable to watch characters in TV shows and movies getting stuck repeating the same series of events over and over again. What is that? What's wrong with me? (laughs) (laughs) I do enjoy a good time loop movie as well. I mean,
1: obviously Groundhog Day is a perfect example. Mm. And also there's a Netflix show called Russian Dolls, which is a great time loop TV show. This one was a bit different, though, because each time it looped over, it also folded over itself. So Mm. you experienced the present, the past, the future repetition at exactly the same time. Yeah. So that was a really interesting concept because I hadn't seen that before. Mm. There were certain scenes that were just, whoa, quite (laughs) bone chilling to watch because you realize, holy shit, this... Scenario had unfolded 50 times already. Yeah. And you were seeing the consequences of whatever that
0: scenario was. Yeah. I know exactly which scene you're referring to. (laughs) It's quite interesting, this one. Melissa George's character, she doesn't, as one person, experience the same set of events over and over again. She doesn't jump back to the point that she was at at the beginning. Hmm. She just sort of continues throughout these loops. Yes. Every time, so all of her companions get killed off, so they die and and disappear and then come back again as refreshed versions. But she carries on. Mm. So eventually there are sort of two or three of her running around this ocean liner that they've come across after being in this storm. So she's sort of trying to avoid herself or even sometimes she ends up facing herself down or fighting with herself (laughs) <laughs> yeah, it's one hell of a mindfuck of a movie. And one of the things that the director, Christopher Smith, said was tricky was trying to make sure that the audience knew which Jess they were following at any given mm. point and who you're supposed to identify with. And I think one of the triumphs of this movie is that you don't necessarily get confused. Mm. No, I don't think that you got confused
1: at all. There were a few kind of plot holes mm. because... I would assume with that many iterations of this time loop, surely there should be hundreds of Jesses just (laughs) running around this boat. (laughs) They should be bumping into each other everywhere. (laughs) Yes, uh, but whenever they're walking around the boat, it seems deserted for some reason. It should be just chock-a-block
0: full of Jesses. Yeah. There should be enough to form a band and perhaps a dance troupe in the ballroom. (laughs) (laughs) Of this strangely deserted 1930s ocean liner. So it's a fascinating time loop movie, all based on Chris Smith's idea of shipwrecked people come across empty ocean liner. They see somebody on deck. They go on board. They can't find this person. There's nobody there. They start getting killed and then it finishes with the final girl standing on the deck looking out and then seeing everybody coming back again Mm. so she was the person that they saw originally and then the loop continues so originally he thought of that as that's the movie and there's a single twist at the end Uh but then he thought I'm bored with that you know single twist movies yeah Shyamalan bored of that what if that's act one where do you go from there and That's the point where it gets really quite fascinating, I think. You finish act one, it's quite shocking, everybody's dead, Mm. you couldn't believe it's all happening this fast.
1: Yeah, all the characters die within the first 36 minutes of the film.
0: Yeah. I was just in disbelief. Yeah. (laughs) Where do you go from there? Yeah, what the hell is going to happen now? And that's where the movie gets really quite fascinating. And we go through a three-act structure. I think we witness three loops. Hmm. Which, as you say, doesn't make sense because we see evidence of many, many, many more loops than three. But it still makes sense. It's still emotionally a journey and an arc for the main character that you're following. And you still sort of root for her, even though Mm. she's quite sort of mysterious sometimes. And then I don't think it's too much of a spoiler to say that you discover that she is actually the killer. So she's the victim, Mm -hmm. she's the final girl, Mm -hmm. and she's the killer. Pretty
1: amazing. I mean, it's interesting you talk about how, yeah, there were these acts. I felt like the movie almost had 10 endings. Mm. It would end, and then it would carry on, and then it would end, and then it would carry on. Mm. So the storm was like the first ending, right? the shipwreck. And then they go on the ocean liner, and then everyone gets killed, another end. Mm. And then the repeat starts. And then she gets off the boat. It's another end. Mm. And then she goes, big spoilers here, a very shocking twist that I did not expect whatsoever. Uh, She goes home and she sees another her taking care of her son, which was wow. Just wow. Great twist there. And she ends up killing herself, and that's another end. And then she runs off, and then they get in a car crash, and then that's another end. And then she goes back to the boat and <laughs> meets the people again, and that's the other ending, or the actual ending. Yeah. So it's like a, a series of endings with follow-ups to other endings. Like So mm. <laughs> it was a, quite a strange experience watching this movie because I just kept on thinking... Where do they go from here?
0: Yeah, it's a really odd one because it's multiple time loops on the ocean liner contained within an overall time loop. So you see Jess at the beginning of the movie comforting her autistic son, who seems Mm -hmm. very upset. And when you watch it the first time, you assume this is because she's going away for a day. And he finds that stressful. So you think that this is just an average day for her and she's going out for the day. Once you've been through the whole story and you've seen her go home and murder another version of herself in Mm. front of her autistic son, which is why he's freaking out, you suddenly have a completely new understanding of the opening scene and realise that the whole movie is a time loop. And at the end of it, she decides that she's going to go back again anyway. So you could put the movie back on and watch it again. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Which is pretty crazy. Yes, you could (laughs) have the movie on repeat
1: and it would be itself a time loop. Yeah. (laughs)
0: Yeah.
1: I mean, I guess we should talk about um, some of the themes of the film as well. Mm. So it's kind of like a purgatory. So she's stuck in this loop. It's like Mm. in limbo. It's not death. It's not life. It's just this never-ending cycle of her trying to get out and reunited with her son but Mm. every time that happens something else happens another sort of bone chilling scene was when she is driving away with her son she's got her body double in a bag in the boot (laughs) uh, and she hits a seagull on the way and she stops she goes to pick up the dead bird and throw it off the road and when she does that she realizes it's just a whole pile of seagulls and she's already done that yeah, like 50 yeah, times. Dozens of times. So, yeah, the themes of kind of purgatory and just torment. But I, I also felt like it was almost like trauma as well. Like she had experienced some sort of trauma that she couldn't get over. And she was just repeating it oh. over and over and over and over again and trying to stop it. But it kept. Happening, right? Yeah, that's just I don't know an interpretation. Yeah, but there's also um, some Greek mythology uh, themes in there as well in references.
0: Yes, indeed. So the ship that she ends up on, the Aeolus, they actually describe this in the movie. He is the father of Sisyphus, who is the guy that everybody remembers was condemned to roll a rock up the top of a hill only for it to roll back down to the bottom again. And he has to do this over and over again until the end of time. What they don't mention in the movie is why he was condemned by the gods to do that in Greek mythology. Mm -hmm. And it is because he cheated death. And he cheated death a couple of times, I think. And they just got really pissed off with him. And they offered him this task and said, if you can do this we will give you immortality. And so he is pushing this rock up to the top of the hill and then rolling back down again Mm -hmm. in an effort to achieve immortality. And the joke is that he actually is immortal. It's just that he's stuck in this permanent loop. Yeah. So you begin to ask yourself, what is this bringing to the movie other than just the echo of the looping that she's stuck in, this purgatory? Is it that she is trying to cheat death? Is she trying to undo the car accident, the fact that she abused her son because you find out that she's not the great paragon of virtue as a mother that you initially think she might be Mm. because she does actually hit him at one point at the end of the movie. So you think, oh, this has gotten the better of her. It's gotten on top of her. Mm. So is she trying to atone for this? Is she trying to undo? There are all kinds of different interpretations of this and they're all quite fascinating.
1: Yeah, I mean, I actually read... Aeolus is the name of the ocean liner. It's also the Greek god of the winds, I believe. Mm. And it's interesting because they're on this yacht and the wind stops. Yes. And then a huge storm comes and wrecks the ship and they have to board the ocean liner. And so there's that sort of reference there to winds causing havoc. Mm. Aeolus was also in the Odyssey as well. So he gives... Odysseus a bag of all the winds and uh, not to open it. And then (laughs) his crew opens it thinking it's full of gold. And then their boat gets swept around and they can't get home. So there's that reference there. I also read that Sisyphus tricked the personification of death, Thanatos. Mm. Thanatos went to chain... Sisyphus up But Sisyphus tricked him And ended up chaining Thanatos up So no one was dying So it's also this idea of Hmm. She couldn't die She just kept having to Live on and
0: Repeat the same thing Over and over again So there's kind of That reference as well Right The other interesting thing About these time loops Is that many of the films That feature these time loops They are making A reference to Or at some point They will make a reference To how this echoes getting stuck in a rut in life so in Groundhog Day you get the scene where he's at a bar and he says to these two (laughs) rather world weary guys who are drinking the night away at the bar Mm. have you ever felt like you're stuck in the same day and it just keeps repeating over and over again and nothing you do will ever make a difference Mm -hmm. and these two guys just look at him (laughs) in recognition and say yeah this this is our life Uh so there's always that hovering in the background of these time loop movies that it's somehow a reference to just getting stuck in a rut in life and feeling trapped and I think in this movie there is an element of that because she makes reference to the fact that looking after her autistic child means that she has to keep everything exactly the same Mm -hmm. every day otherwise he becomes stressed or has a hard time so there is this sense that she as a woman as a single mum who's a waitress is just stuck in the same day that she has to painstakingly keep exactly the same And then almost this purgatory that she's stuck in is sort of mocking that aspect of her life. Or if it's something that she's just experiencing in her own mind is a reflection of her own nightmare in daily life. So, yeah, Mm. lots of fun references and echoes to be had
1: in these time loops. Another Greek mythological influence is also the cab driver. Oh. So this is after the big car accident with Jess and the car overturns. And Jess is just standing there looking at her son who's dying. And a cab driver comes up to her and gives her a lift. So this cab driver is kind of supposed to represent the ferryman, uh-huh. uh, whose job is to deliver lost souls to purgatory because he delivers her back to the... The beginning mm. of the movie to the dock where the yacht is that they, uh, where they board. Yeah. Uh, so he's kind of bringing her back to the beginning to repeat this thing over again, and I guess once she has a car crash again, he will be there to deliver her back to the beginning yeah so yes another
0: mythological reference there yeah and it's quite a spooky exchange too because he says that he's just going to leave the meter running and says to her because you are going to be back right yeah and she says yes so she knows that this is going at some levels she knows that this is just going to go on and on mm. and on mm. <laughs> forever. I think there's also a road sign that she drives past that just says, return back. Oh, yeah. The more you watch this movie, the more you see. I mean, I watched it a couple of times in preparation for this and I just kept seeing more and more things. Yeah. It's very dense for a film that was shot very quickly on a fairly small budget. I mean, it was only about $12 million, So, oh. yeah, fascinating. And the director had a bit of fun referencing another movie as well. Mm, Yeah. So lots of references to The Shining, as I mentioned in the synopsis. Mm. I mean, not only does the liner look like the Overlook Hotel in a lot of ways, so... There's a room that they keep returning to a cabin that has wallpaper with very geometric art deco designs on it that are very reminiscent of the carpets, the famous carpets in the Overlook Hotel. There's this recurring motif of a stock record with 1930s jazz music on it, which is very much like the ballroom ghosty scenes in the Overlook Hotel, and of course, room 237, which is a pivotal room in The Shining. And 237 is the number of the cabin that I just talked about. And also I spotted when I watched the film again, it's actually her house number. Oh, so, right! <laughs> lots of references to The Shining. And I'm not sure really what he's doing with that, because other than it being a film about domestic troubles being writ large in this isolated place where everything goes horribly wrong I'm not quite sure what the connection is between the two.
1: Yeah, and, and she also wields an axe at one stage too.
0: Yeah, of course. <laughs> Here's Jess. <laughs> <laughs> I guess that must be one of his favourite movies. I guess it must be. I mean, there's the only connection that he mentioned on the audio commentary track, he said that he was very much influenced by The Uncanny, so the Freudian essay about The Uncanny, which apparently Kubrick read in Preparation, for making The Shining and learning about all the things that we as humans find disturbing. A lot of them we're very familiar with in terms of Uncanny Valley which is seeing a replication of a human being but you just knowing that there's something about it that's not quite right. Mm. So, dolls and mannequins and now cgi of course increasingly we see cgi people and if they're too close to being human but not quite human it sort of freaks you out the whole reason in the shining kubrick has two twins which weren't in the novel is because for some reason we find twins slightly disturbing. Mm. Yeah, so there's something about the eeriness and also the repetition compulsion, the fact that you are stuck repeating something, it all fits into this uncanny area that he was trying to recreate. Right. It's very interesting. Yeah. What did you think about the characters?: They're an interesting bunch, aren't they? So you have Greg, who is this really sweet-natured guy who owns a boat and takes random waitresses out on it, mm. but not on their own, so he's not too creepy. No. He brings along his old high school ex, who's a bit of a snob. That's Sally, played by Rachel Carpani Carpani, mm-hmm. and her husband, Downey, Henry Nixon. And there's sort of comic relief, I think. Hmm. Not very likable, really. They bring along Heather, who is a friend, played by Emma Lung, supposedly to set up Greg. And Sally spends the whole time sniping about who is this Jess person. She looks a bit needy. I mean, it doesn't help that Jess arrives dressed in this really trashy outfit. She looks Uh, terrible. And yeah, they're really worried that Greg is just letting this girl latch onto him because he's already let this homeless speech bum, Mm. (laughs) Liam Hemsworth's character, Victor, live on his boat. So yeah, it's an odd combination of characters and there are some tensions there, which obviously they can put under a microscope as things heat up. But they're not really dealt with in any great depth. No, I found all the characters, apart from
1: Jess, to be incredibly two dimensional and very throwaway. Mm. They could be anything. And their characters really weren't fleshed out as well. There wasn't any strong characterization, they were quite cliche. Mm. So Liam Hemsworth, he's just the brute. The mm. muscly guy that's just a bit of a dick, uh, <laughs> and you've got Greg, who's just the nice guy that looks good and treats people considerately, mm. and then you have the snobby rich yuppie couple <laughs> that are just brash and rude and just a bit annoying. Yeah, I think it was quite an easy choice of characters, and nothing that was that complex or that interesting. Mm. And even when they got killed, I didn't feel anything. No, when they did. I wasn't really emotionally invested in whether they died or not. Mm. But I think it's also to do with the pacing of the film. I think they did have to have that set up with all these people meeting and then being on the boat and then the storm and then on the ocean liner and all of that was done fairly quickly but mm. they needed it yeah but in doing it quickly there was no time to develop any characters no and so suddenly 36 minutes into the film everyone dies <laughs> <laughs> and you just think I don't even remember who they were.
0: (laughs) (laughs) No, it's tricky, isn't it? Because you can't really have much of an arc for them or invest in them when they die every 30 minutes. Mm, mm, Yeah. (laughs) I mean, Greg has a really sour note at one point because you think he's this lovely accommodating guy who just takes on all of these charity cases out of magnanimity. But he has this one line where he's arguing with Jess about we need to find the crew of this ship or whatever. And she's saying, I don't think there's anybody here. This is weird. I feel like I've been here before. Mm. And he says to her, ships have skippers. Maybe in your world right now they don't. So is Greg really sniping at Jess for being a single mother? It's a bit of a dick move. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I certainly didn't feel all that sad when he got gunned down, but <laughs> maybe that's a bit mean of me. But I just thought that was awful. Yeah. I was surprised that he was the first to die because he was set up
1: as, I guess, a love interest and then hmm. death. I I did not know what was going to happen. And then the loop Mm. started and then I was like,
0: uh, okay, we have the rest of the movie to continue to kill these characters over again. Yeah. Another shocking death that happens quite early is Liam Hemsworth as Victor because he's just arguing with Jess and for some reason she thinks that a good idea during the argument is to place her hands either side of his head and back him into the sharpest Overflow pipe uh-huh. that has ever existed. Yes. On which he must have a very soft skull because he becomes instantly impaled on it, which mm. is a bit of a shocker. Oh, yes. Uh,. <laughs> <laughs> not the best way to die (laughs) no i mean it kind of works but it's probably the most risible part of the movie i think
1: (laughs) yeah i mean that spike needs to be pretty damn sharp and uh, (laughs) made of diamonds or something (laughs) yeah (laughs) i mean i'd like to talk about pacing for the film i i felt like the first 36 minutes was just super quick Mm. and then there was a big chunk in the middle of the film that kind of dragged Okay. Especially, I think it was the third repeat mm. because you'd already seen it. You'd already seen the fight between Jess and Jess. Mm. So, and then they showed it again, but yeah. from a, a different, different perspective. Yeah, a
0: different person's perspective, yeah. But
1: you'd already seen it. So you could have cut that entire segment in half mm. of that. Yeah. And then when she escaped the boat, and was it really that easy as well to escape just. <laughs> jump in the water. (laughs) 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 She could have done that right at the beginning, really, couldn't she? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, this is what happens when you have a movie like this. You end up taking it apart and realizing, was it that easy? Just jump in the water
0: and then be swept to shore and then run home somehow. There are a few logic flaws in the movie. I mean, for example, why does she have to write a sample of the message to herself on paper over and over and over again. Does she not recognise her own handwriting? Mm. I always recognise mine whenever I see it written down anywhere. I don't have to copy out the message to see whether it matches. Ah, oh, We've seen that before in the movie Push. Right. Uh, when she wakes up
1: with her memory being wiped and she has to uh. <laughs> write on the mirror to make sure it's <laughs> her own handwriting. I feel like that's definitely a cinematic choice. It is, yeah. To
0: show us, yeah. the audience, that it's the same. Yeah. Right. <laughs> but you can't really justify it because surely she must know her own handwriting (laughs) and furthermore why on the second loop why is she hiding from everybody why when they come aboard Does she hide around corners and disappear and all the rest of it? Why doesn't she just walk up to them and go, hey, this is pretty weird. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) What's this all about? Yeah, she should get her gang of 50 Jesses and just go, hey, guys, something weird is going on. (laughs) (laughs) There's loads of us here. This is odd. (laughs) But instead she sneaks around and fulfills all the things that they sort of half saw and half heard Mm, and had mm. to chase down in loop one. Does she feel compelled to do it? I just don't understand why she does it, really, mm. other than being confused. Also, I mean, how did she come to the conclusion that she has to
1: murder everyone to escape this loop <laughs> it's, it's as well? pretty extreme. Was there any evidence prior to that of the loop ending No, by murder? No,
0: I'm not sure how <laughs> she gets there. You would have thought she might have tried not murdering them at least once. <laughs> yeah. I mean, She's She just goes straight to murder. <laughs> yeah, the second loop,
1: she tries to reason with people and tries to save people. Mm. But then her future double self tells her that she should kill everyone to get off the boat. And she believes it? Mm. I don't know. I wasn't hugely impressed with Jess as a character. Oh, interesting. I felt like there wasn't quite enough contrast with her development. Mm. I felt she was very timid and unsure of herself at the start and then she kind of became sure but then she became timid again and then she killed people and then I I don't know I felt her character wasn't concise enough it it kept kind of branching out and not really developing Mm. organically It was a bit sporadic in how she acted.
0: Yeah, I mean, it must have been a nightmare to keep straight in your head as to which scene you're filming and which iteration of you you are. That's true. (laughs) And at what stage you're at. I think she does reasonably well. I mean, if anybody could play this psychologically complicated and fractured woman, I think Melissa George is probably the right choice. Because there is something about her that is quite fascinating, I think, and mm. not your bog standard final girl screaming and yes, running around. I agree with that. <laughs> I would have hated it if she was like that. Mm. I mean, she was really good in 30 Days of Night, if you've seen that. Yeah shot in New Zealand. Really? Yeah. I didn't know that.
1: It's shot in uh, the South Island, down south. I think it's shot in Queenstown or Dunedin. Uh, But it's set in Alaska, isn't it?
0: It is, yeah. And I thought it was shot there. (laughs) Silly me. No,
1: no, no. It's actually quite a lot of New Zealand actors in that movie as well. Really? Most of
0: the extras and sort of uh, supporting cast are Kiwis. Ah, I didn't know that. I must watch that again. I love that movie. It's great. It is great. But I think, on the whole, I think Melissa does amazingly well with It's a physically taxing role. It's a mentally challenging role. She has to go to a lot of really awful places and she has to make sense on both viewings of the film. And I certainly think at the beginning and the ending of the movie, it really does work well. What you're reading as this hesitant fragility Hmm. is actually somebody in shock from having experienced something really terrible, Hmm. if you think about it looping around. So I think she bracketed it well The middle is just so complex that I guess it's pretty tricky. I mean, one point that they cut out of the movie, she actually considers suicide. So at the end of loop two, she originally puts the shotgun in her mouth and is going to finish it, end it all. But the director decided to take it out because he thought that the audience wouldn't sympathize with her If suicide was ever an option.
1: Uh, I did actually think she was going to do it. She looked
0: like she was going
1: to do it, but she didn't. And I was like, oh, okay, right. Because she also, you have to consider the fact that she was doing all of this to be
0: reunited with her son. Yes.
1: And suicide does not help. No. <laughs> in,
0: <laughs> no. Getting your son back. <laughs> no, it doesn't. Maybe it could be seen as one way of getting out of this endless loop. Maybe she thought that she would emerge from it in a different place. But ah, yeah. What would happen right. at the end of the loop if she ended the loop? I don't know. Well, I mean, yeah. in Grandhog Day. He, uh, he did that many times. <laughs> he
1: did, yeah. It's very true. I did really enjoy all the scenes where you realise that it had been done hundreds of times before. Like when she drops her locket into the grate mm. and there are just hundreds of that locket. Mm. When she writes a note, even though you don't like that scene <laughs> where she's trying to figure out if it is her handwriting and there are hundreds of notes on the ground. I I really enjoyed those scenes. And also the most shocking scene that I mentioned before, Mm. the one with Sally. Yeah. And she's wounded and she's backed into a corner and then the camera pans out and it's just hundreds of dead Sally's. And it's, oh. Yeah. It's a... Confronting, confronting scene yes. it is yes i was thinking that's the word
0: dance going to use yeah yeah it's pretty awful and it's made even more awful by the fact that sally is so shocked and traumatized that she doesn't even register it it's only jess that really registers mm. that she's crawling through a pile of dead sally's it's horrible mm. and is probably the signature scene for this movie i would say yeah
1: Now it's time for Random
0: Trivia. So Dan, what endless trivia did you find for us while aimlessly wandering the maze of corridors of Triangle? Well, as mentioned, uh, this film is set in Miami,
1: Florida, but was filmed entirely in Queensland, Australia. But did you know that both Florida and Queensland are also known as the Sunshine State? Oh, I did
0: not. Yeah
1: in different countries, both known as the Sunshine State. And I think Jess actually does pass a road sign that says Sunshine State (laughs) or something like that. And they probably didn't even have to
0: change it because it's uh, it's, (laughs) it's the same. (laughs) (laughs) made the production design much easier. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Yeah, I mean, I found it fascinating that they filmed this not on an ocean liner, they just built an ocean liner at the end of a jetty. Right. Ah, I did not know that. Yeah, so they just built the set on a jetty. Looking out to sea, and just made sure that the camera was always pointing in the direction of the sea. So that's
1: really smart. Yeah,
0: they didn't have any of the complications they had on something like Jaws, where they were trying to film in open sea, and it was a constant nightmare. Yeah, it's really clever. Yeah, I, I can imagine open ocean is not the most ideal filming situation. No, when you're just trying to shoot something, the camera's drifting off, and the, <laughs> the caster <are> drifting <laughs> off, and yeah, absolute nightmare. And come of ironic that it should be on a jetty as well when the film is very much inspired by the french short film la jeté in which a character at the end of the movie discovers that his death is the traumatic event that he witnessed as a child because he's a time traveler and that is the same sort of paradox that inspired terry gilliam's 12 monkeys ah right i love those paradoxes oh yeah 1962, The Jetty.
1: And that concludes our trivia. It does. I did think some elements of this film were a little dated in terms of production. Right. So some of the CGI effects
0: were just... Yeah, not good. It's very early digital stuff, isn't it? It looks fake. A lot of the water stuff doesn't look terribly convincing. Of course, water is very difficult to do. Mm-hmm. I mean they've mastered it now, but it takes a lot of processing power to map all of those different particles and make it look convincing. Mm-hmm. So people falling in the water didn't look very good and some of the compositing isn't very convincing.
1: Yeah, that storm scene mm-hmm. it came and went and I'm not entirely sure what happened. It was just a whole bunch of water and the sound wasn't great in that either. It was just a barrage of... And shouting. And I actually wasn't even sure who was swept away as well until they all got on the ocean liner. And I was like, oh, oh the Heather, she's gone.
0: <laughs> budget wise, that storm scene, it looked like the budget of the film. Yeah, I think they sort of stretched themselves, but it's quite nice to see somebody really going for it on a low budget. Yeah. And what they managed to pull off is still quite commendable, mm. considering when it was done.
1: Yeah, I mean, all the stuff on the ocean liner itself oh it looked great mm. amazing cinematography really good use of lighting yeah a lot of red and yellow lighting and tight spaces and mm. all the things I love in uh, horror slash thriller
0: Yeah, it's interesting below decks how there are lots of areas that are primary coloured in their lighting. It's interesting photography by Robert Humphreys. Mm -hmm. And above decks, they're trying to mimic the look of Dead Calm, interestingly enough, which we covered a few episodes ago. Another Australian oceanic film. Indeed, yeah, very much an influence. So they were talking about it all being very, very backlit and the typical qualities of the Australian sun, apparently, is what they were going for, despite the movie being... Set in Miami. But that was another thing about the uncanny that they were trying to capture. If you think of The Shining, it's all given this flat in the middle of the snow lots of bounce light flat lighting throughout the whole movie mm-hmm. and in this movie the ship that they go on to it doesn't emerge from the fog in the middle of the night it actually emerges from the sun mm. where they can't sort of really see what they're looking at so it's all perfectly and beautifully lit apart from these scenes below decks where Robert Humphreys goes for these strong primary colors mm. so the look of the film is incredible I also love some of the camera work and some of the misdirection they do on the editing, like right at the beginning when they're exploring this seemingly endless maze of corridors on the liner, lots of the shots mislead you in terms of what you're going to see next. So you see somebody go down a corridor and look over their shoulder, and then you cut to another shot of a corridor and you think, this is what they're looking at. And then the characters enter that shot from another side of the frame. So you realise, oh no, this is actually the next shot. And it's really disorientating. Yeah, it really is. (laughs) I
1: kind of laughed a little bit because it felt for a good 10 minutes it was just a whole bunch of characters walking
0: down corridors just saying hello. <laughs> hello? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's never what you're expecting. It's Christopher Smith, the director, is playing with point of view and with editorial conventions so that the audience never gets the next shot that they're expecting. And it puts you as an audience on the back foot And makes you have the same feeling that Jess is experiencing. And there are other things too, like when the first loop begins... The film gets stuck at one point. Yeah. So you have these tiny edits where parts of the movie loop while the record of 30s jazz is stuck and looping. Oh, yes, yes. All born of this love of the uncanny and try to replicate that feeling of something that's not quite right. Hmm. Yeah, and in that scene where you pass from one loop to the other, you actually go through a mirror and then you see the first scene replayed but it's mirrored Even though the writing on the ship isn't backwards, it still reads right. But it's actually the same scene as the beginning, but it's all as though you're seeing it through a mirror. Everything that was on the left is now on the right. Wow. It's really hard. (laughs) But it's a beautiful shot where you go over Jess's shoulder, look at her in the mirror, and then go through the mirror and then just walk out of the cabin with her and onto the deck. And it starts again. And it's, it's a very... Odd transition So stylistically They do some really interesting things Interesting
1: Because there is a shot Where she looks at the mirror And the mirror's all cracked Mm -hmm. And it's almost like each crack represents another Jess repeating again and it's just cracking more and more and more and more. Talking about mirrors, I've just had this thought, similar to uh, Alice in Wonderland through the looking glass and and going through the looking
0: glass and having everything a little bit strange. Yeah, very much so. Not quite right. Definitely. And there are lots of uses of mirrors. I mean, there's a scene early on when she walks into cabin 237 and there are three mirrors in there and you see three Jesses. Yeah, And that's before you really know what's going on it's just another way that they layer so many details <laughs> into this wow, movie. Wow, wow. what do you think about the score of this film well the score is by christian henson who is a british composer that i have a great fondness for oh yeah i watch his youtube channel an awful lot as well he's always walking his dog and fl- vlogging on some mountain top somewhere That's oh. really fascinating <laughs> Then his approach to music is quite interesting because he's not classically trained. He doesn't read music, but he does write very classically tinged music, but he also mixes it with electronics and different sampling approaches to mangle sounds. Mm -hmm. And he likes putting what he calls pylons in his music. So if a beautifully recorded classical orchestra is playing a song and that's like this gorgeous pastoral landscape, he likes to like put big electronic Buzzing pylons, smack bang in the middle of it oh, okay. to sort of <laughs> disturb the flow of it. So he will do things creatively that are fascinating. So like in this movie, he scored the strings for violins, violas, cello, and bass as normal but then only hired a band of cellists and basses and orchestrated it so that the cellists had to play all of the high notes, Oh, sometimes way beyond their natural range. So they're playing harmonics right at the edge of their ability and it gives it a really sort of nervousness oh, an unsettling, yeah. disturbing, strange sound that you're not used to. It reminds me, Hans Zimmer said when he was writing the score for The Ring, It's just cellos and basses again in that movie. And he made the cellist play the highest notes that they could possibly play because he said, you can hear the fear (laughs) (laughs) from the cellist trying to hit these notes. So, yeah, he took a lot of interesting approaches with this. There's sort of twisted piano samples and strings and a lot of vocals too, including the opening title has this lullaby sung by Dot Allison, who is a vocalist who's famous for her collaborations with... Massive Attack and Death in Vegas Mm. and met Christian Henson on this movie and fell in love and the two of them are now happily married (laughs) and have been for quite some years. So, yeah, it's an interesting collaboration, this one. Um, Yeah, I mean, I
1: thought the music was very tense and Mm. incredibly interesting but I felt like there wasn't anything to hold on to. Right, It did do its job incredibly well and it was very uneasy Mm. but I don't,
0: really remember any of it Oh, was it just me (laughs) it may well be that it's multiple viewings and I mean I actually have the CD Ah. (laughs) I've listened to it many times so I'm quite familiar with the lullaby and several of the other motifs that he created to signify certain things and have them loop back again but always in different arrangements Mm. so that you could hear them in a different context and they could mean something else so he put a lot of thought into it a lot of effort into Mm -hmm. it and I think At a base level it works It supports the movie Yeah, I mean, it's interesting you talked
1: about What he calls pylons Mm. Because there were a a few really interesting sounds That were dotted throughout the film Mm. That I couldn't actually figure out what they were What sort of instrument or or synthesizer they were Mm. And it did feel
0: really unnerving Yeah, most of the samples apparently Are the sound of bamboo sticks being hit or scraped And it's all been... Pitched down really low to create long, drawn-out pads and horns. and Wow. It's fascinating stuff. He's quite okay. the pioneer, and I thoroughly recommend everybody follow his YouTube channel and see him sampling and mangling sounds because it's all quite fascinating. Wow. Okay. I need to have a second listen, I think. Mm. Yeah, it's worth it. I think it rewards multiple listens much more than most modern horror soundtracks, which tend to just be sound design. Yeah. <laughs> Coming to you live from the Movie Oubliette Theatre, it's the prestigious Moobly Awards.
1: Ah, listeners, I'm sure you're all awaiting your favorite eternally recurring segment of the pod the Moobly Awards. <laughs> where we declare our favourite picks from a number of seaworthy categories. Best quote. Actually, I uh, didn't have a favourite quote
0: from this film. So over to you, Conrad. (laughs) Most of the dialogue is fairly functional, isn't it? Mm. But my favourite one is actually, there's a line that comes from Sally, at the start of Loop Three, after you've seen Mean Jess kill Dawny and Sally, and you've had that disturbing pile of Sally's, mm. which is the most disturbing part of the movie by far, yes. you cut back to Loop. Three and it's all starting all over again. And mean Jess goes and tells Sally and Downey to meet in the theater and then just wanders aimlessly out of the room. And Sally turns to Downey and says, Okay, she's really starting to freak me out now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think it's just the way that Rachel Carpani delivers it. It's a welcome moment of comic relief in what mm. has been a very tense part of the movie Mm, indeed most Most naughty moment for me it has to be the matrix bullet time shot that circles around two iterations of jess so we see the face of one and then we swing around to see the face of the other in a single shot and you can tell that it wasn't carried out in the same way as the Matrix with 360 mm. still cameras firing in sequential order there. It's not that. Yeah. It's just them running around with the camera and speeding it up in post and it looks terrible. <laughs> I actually really liked it. I
1: thought it was a really cool effect. Um, and it really kind of <laughs> showcases the fact that it's Jess versus Jess. So I, I thought oh, it was actually yeah. kind of cool. <laughs>
0: Did you like it? I thought it was a bit cheesy. I thought, oh, this is so naughty. <laughs> it's, it's a very action movie effect, though, definitely. My
1: most naughty moment uh, was just the use of, like, kind of terrible CGI green screen. So especially nice. when they first see the ocean liner, it's like, wow, this is the most CGI ocean liner I've ever seen. Uh, and <laughs> I I feel like the sort of the late noughties was when they started really implementing a lot more CGI backgrounds as opposed to just, you know, CGI creatures and that sort of stuff. So, um, yeah, it's Mm. the beginning of the Marvel effect where everything is just a (laughs) wash of CGI backgrounds. Best Best hair or costume? I quite liked, uh, or I found it hilarious, uh... So the portrayal of a rich yuppie on a boat is Mm. always the same for some reason. So (laughs) Sally, the character of Sally, uh, she's just got pastels. Everything's pastel. She's got a sweater tied around her shoulders. Uh, She's wearing a (laughs) headscarf. She's got a silk scarf on and she's got her silver jewelry. It's like, do they get a
0: uniform? What is going on here? (laughs) (laughs) rich people <laughs> yeah yeah they hand it out at the docks i don't know Downey does make fun of it though doesn't he because she says something like oh this old thing i just threw this on and yeah. he says she's had this laid out on her bed for like yeah. a week <laughs> <laughs> oh, <that's great>. rumbled <laughs> well for me i had to give kudos for melissa george for those hideous platform sandals mm. which have like a three or four inch lift on them making them utterly impractical for silently stalking chasing and murdering a boatload of innocent yacht yuppies yeah (laughs) and and they're so distinctive that it's even a plot point that even when she's trying to disguise herself as a crossover between michael myers and jason voorhees from friday the 13th part two with a boiler suit and a bag over her head that Greg just looks at her feet sees these ridiculous shoes and says (laughs) (laughs) Jess? Yeah Dead giveaway. (laughs) But yeah, hats off to Melissa George. She toddles throughout the whole movie on those ridiculous shoes. Yes, it does. Uh, And doesn't break an ankle, so good on her. (laughs) Yeah, interesting
1: as well because she gets swept ashore, still wearing them, and runs home, still
0: wearing them as well. (laughs) Surely they're so heavy she would sink. It's crazy. (laughs) Favourite scene. It's an obvious pick. But the horrific and deeply disturbing scene of Sally, mortally injured, crawling onto the deck to escape Jess, only to find herself backed into a dead end full of duplicates of herself, lying dead and being pecked at by birds. Mm. It's so disturbing. It's such a shocking image. And it gives you this horrible, hopeless feeling that she has made this mistake dozens of times before and there's no escape for her It's awful, (laughs) but at the same time, I just think it's amazing and it's perfectly executed. Yeah, my favorite moment in the film
1: as well. How the bodies were arranged as well. It was almost like a Renaissance painting. It was just so horrifically beautiful Mm. and just, yeah, deeply, deeply disturbing. (laughs) Most cliche horror moment. So, I mean, this is not really a horror thriller cliche, but this is more a movie set at sea cliche. So always Mm. there is a storm, obviously. Oh, yeah. And always there is faulty radio communication. Oh, yeah. Dead
0: calm, prime example. (laughs) So is Triangle. Yeah, Yeah, the radio never works on these things after the water splashes on it. Never. Never. Well, for me, you will not be surprised to hear that my old favourite, the the run-out-of-bullets-throw-the-gun-at-your-assailant gag comes up yet again. (laughs) Although, we have to give two special merits to Melissa George here because one... The gun in question is a shotgun, which Mm. is not the easiest thing to throw accurately. And two, she even manages to hit the person that she's going for. (laughs) She sends a duplicate of herself spinwheeling over the railing in that scene. Uh, So yeah, hats off to you. Good gun throwing. (laughs) Yeah, I thought of you as
1: soon as I watched that scene. Uh, I actually found it the funniest part of the movie as well, so this is going to be my funniest (laughs) moment of the film. But, yeah, I just thought, oh, Conrad's definitely going to mention this. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah.
0: Yeah. Best special effect. Well... It's fairly obvious. I'm going to go back to this. It's the multiple dead Sally's. It's probably the most effectively executed special effect in Mm. the movie. Agreed. It took a whole day to do, apparently, and was a miserable time for Rachel Carpani and her dozens of extras (laughs) who were standing in for her. Yeah, so I just love the way that it's obviously a locked-off shot and it's just multiple exposures all combined But it's given this touch of realism in post-production by getting this slight amount of camera movement, just slight uneasy moving around on deck. Mm. Yeah, just did that in post just to give it that life and the same sort of quality of the rest of the film. It's just a great scene. It's a great shot. It's a great effect, basically. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. I did not realise that's how they did it. Yeah, it's amazing. There's lots of Rachels in that scene. Bless her. She had to lie dead in a multitude of different uh, positions. <laughs> Not fun.
1: <laughs> My favorite special effect, hands down.
0: Yeah. Favorite sound effect.
1: Uh, I mean, all of the sound design was great. It wasn't exceptional. Nothing really stood out, uh, apart from one sound, mm. uh, where Jess kills domestic Jess in her home with a hammer, and it just sounds like she's squeezed the juice bottle, and just a whole bunch of juice is just squishing out. Oh. It's <laughs> a very squishy, juicy sound.
0: <laughs> yeah, that's not nice. It's a very disturbing scene as well, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. And you, Conrad? <sighs> well, for me, it was at the end of the first loop. It's this lovely piece of sound misdirection where she hears running footsteps above her on the deck above her and so she follows it with her eyes to try and see where it's headed and the camera follows it too but as it comes to rest you suddenly realize the killer is behind her already so it's a lovely piece of sound-led misdirection for the audience for Ah, a shocking jump scare. So, yeah, I really liked it. So who was running above her? I don't know. Herself? (laughs) Yes. Jess 237, (laughs) I guess. (laughs) Right. (laughs) (laughs) And that's our Moobilies. It is...
1: I had some thoughts. Oh, Gary, I forgot you were there. What did you think?
0: I found Goose's character really irritating and I was really glad when he was killed off.
1: Huh, that sounds a lot like Top Gun. Yeah, classic.
0: Looking forward to the sequel.
1: Yeah, right And we're back to reveal our final verdicts. Uh, should the trigonometry tale of terror triangle be freed from the purgatorial Aeolus cruise ship to be enjoyed by all, or should it be thrown into the oubliet to repeat the same boring task over and over again? Something like doing its taxes or something. Uh, <laughs> Conrad,
0: you've seen this film before. You recommended it. What's your final verdict? Yeah. Yes, I had seen it before and I recommended it because I remembered it fondly. I think mainly I remembered Sally's death as being really quite disturbing. Mm. I think it kind of overshadows the rest of the movie in a lot of ways. But I do think the premise of this movie is fascinating. It's an intricate little puzzle that's very well executed, very carefully shot, densely layered with clues and references that if you watch it multiple times you can enjoy. It still works if you watch it multiple times. You get different things out of it each time you watch it. There is the problem that it's not terribly... Emotionally satisfying. There isn't an arc for the main character, and the rest of the supporting characters are dead every 30 minutes and Mm. don't really develop. But I think, as an intellectual exercise and as an exercise in style, in both how it's shot, how it's edited, how it's scored, and how it's pieced together. It's just a fascinating little curiosity, a little curio of a movie. And I think it is worth watching. I would continue to recommend it to people. I think it deserves to be set free, unlike poor Jess, who is doomed to repeat herself Mm. forever. (laughs)
1: Mm, mm,
0: mm. What about you, Dan? Well, I
1: I did have a few qualms with this film. I felt like some of the CGI was a bit sketchy. Uh, There was a few Mm. pacing issues... The characters were two dimensional and just nothing that you could really get invested in, despite being killed over and over again. But the the plot mm. and the sort of premise of the film is, although it is something that has been done before, the way that it's twisted it round and how each repeat folds onto itself mm. was really interesting. And in having all of these and uh, realizing that people had been killed dozens and dozens of times before but also yeah. at the same time it was really interesting and the big twist ending and how even though she escapes the boat she's still repeating it. it's not just the boat that's making things mm. repeat it's her entire world uh that was yeah. really, really interesting. And, and just, yeah, I, I love movies that really push you as an audience member to really try to figure what is going on and figure out how does she get out of it or if she does get out of it. Mm. I think it is a little bit, it will be a bit divisive, I think. I think you're going to either love it or hate mm. it if you don't kind of understand it. Kind of like um, The the Cube Or other sort of more psychological Mm. thrillers Uh, I don't know whether you've seen a movie called Primer It's a sci-fi time travel movie Yeah, it has a similar vibe to that Mm. You're just scratching your head trying to figure
0: it out (laughs) The entire time Time Crimes is another one that I really love as well Yes, yes, I have seen that too Love these movies (laughs) Okay, well, let's put this on the pantheon with those movies And set it free Yeah Liberation. Ah, it's nice to see another movie escaping the Oubliette for everyone to enjoy. Ah, yes. So I guess it's time to reveal our next film. Yes, and our next film is a venture into supernatural horror tinged, strangely, with quantum physics. It's the 1987 John Carpenter movie... prince of darkness oh i have seen this film yes me too but strangely even though it's a john carpenter movie it's not one that people talk about a huge amount Mm. i don't think so be interesting to revisit this and it's been picked for us by our mystery special guest who we won't reveal until next time Mm,
1: yes
0: the secrets Yes, so looking forward to that. In the meantime, everyone listening, thank you for joining us once again. If you have any thoughts on our final verdict for this movie, or any of the other movies that we have covered in previous episodes, then please do get in touch. We're on all social media channels as Movie Oubliette, Facebook, Twitter and Instagram. And now Patreon. Yes. If you'd like to support us, go on Patreon and throw your money at us. Yeah. Not much money. No. So
1: don't be scared away. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, You can also email us on movie.oubliette at gmail.com.
0: We love your emails and comments. We do. It gives us something to read out at the beginning of an episode. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah you got to fill that part. Yeah, rather than talk about my dull life.
1: <laughs> <laughs> That's not true, Conrad. And of course, please give us a rating and review. If you haven't already on Apple Podcasts or whatever other podcast platform you are using, it really helps us out and makes us
0: happy. It does. And even if you've done it before, create a dummy account and do it again. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I have five of them. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> well, thanks for joining us, everyone. See you again soon. Goodbye. Aeolus
1: <laughs> was the Greek god of the winds and the father of Sisyphus. Uh